today is another heartbreaking hospital story. We've had uh, so many different people on uh, talking about the hospital holocaust, basically, that um, Gail Salier called it during her um, treatment during COVID in the hospital. Today, we are talking to who I like to call the Swella sisters, Mariah Alcazar and Megan Norton, about their father, Gene Swella, who died in November of 2021, did not have COVID, but they say due to the lack of treatment at the hospital, he ended up dying. Um, and, you know, we've heard these stories over and over that it wasn't necessarily COVID that uh, killed the person, but it was the reaction surrounding COVID. And so they are here today to tell their dad's story so we can learn from this and uh, we can all move forward. They say, you know, Mariah in one of her emails said that her dad died tragically and unexpectedly unexpectedly from what she believes to be the inhumane response to COVID-19 and the single-mindedness and the blinders of the so-called healthcare professionals. And I think so many of us have dealt with this uh, or heard stories about this. And it's important that we continue to memorialize these stories and tell these stories. And so I'm honored and humbled to do so today. They even talk about um, the death certificate and how the uh, doctors said that they would put COVID on there so they could get uh, FEMA money out of it. I've heard this story from other people. So this is an occurring thing. Um, so I am just humbled to talk about this. But first, I want to let you guys all know that I have an exclusive We the Patriots USA listener special for our national conference coming up June 2nd and 3rd in Boise. All of you guys listening or watching, if you use that code secret. 50, you get 50% off your tickets to join us. Go to wethepatriotsusa.org to get your tickets today. We're going to have James O'Keefe, Jenna Ellis, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Ryan Cole, Steve Dace, uh, Connor Boyack, the author of the Total Twins uh, series. He's also going to be there among many, many more. So we invite you all to come out. And of course, if you enjoy this episode and um, like learning more about what's happening surrounding all of these issues. We ask that you prayerfully support us at wethepatriotsusa.org. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and your donations help to power this podcast and everything that they are doing with their litigations, their, their cases, and um, all the different ways that they are defending people in the courts. So without further ado, let's speak to Mariah and Megan about their dad, Gene, and his final days. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Mariah, Megan, thank you guys for joining us. And, you know, we just want to ex extend our deepest condolences for the loss of your father. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 
Yeah. And thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I think you originally shared it with Steve Dace and, and he passed it along to us here at We the Patriots. Um, Steve's a great friend of ours. And like I said, he's going to be at the national conference. And um, I was just so moved by the story that Mariah, that you wrote. And then Megan, you know, the way you and I have talked behind the scenes about what has happened. And so, um, you know, as we're going to dive into the story and I just want to bring up um, you guys so graciously passed along a little section of his medical records. Um, and we'll talk about this in depth, but I just want to bring people's attention to this because this just totally sums up why we're, we're speaking to you guys today. Um, his medical records stated that patient care may have been delivered in a significantly different manner than normal workflow due to the pandemic as a COVID countermeasure. This includes remote screening of patients, diversion of patients away from facilities, limited physical exam, and this is the important part, limited treatments, which is possibly what um, what happened to your father. And so I think that this is just so important that we recognize that people got limited and reduced care due to just the fear, uh, the paralyzing fear that surrounded uh, hospitals and medical professionals. And so we just so appreciate you guys bringing attention to this. So, so thank you. Um, Megan, I'll start with you because I know that your dad, Gene, um, he was coming to visit you in, in Colorado when everything happened. So uh, tell us, tell take us back to the, to the beginning of his story. How did it begin? Yeah, my, my family that year had decided, my husband and I had decided we would host Thanksgiving in 2021, and we could not have been more excited. It was the first time we were going to host my parents and my sister and her husband in our new home and we were gonna tell my parents they were gonna be grandparents um and then i lost the baby so everyone rearranged their schedule to be to our house earlier to support me and my husband and um god i never would have imagined that my dad would die two less than two weeks later so that's kind of the scene it was sad and tragic and then just got unimaginably worse and mariah i know that um you know part of all of what's going on we have all these you're required to get these COVID tests all the time. And, um, you know, there's fear around if you test positive or not. The vaccine was out at this point. This is November 2021. I know your dad uh, chose to remain unvaccinated. And um, so there's several play there's several things happening that play into how his story, including your mother and how she, she felt prior. So tell us a little bit about um, how your mom and your dad hadn't been around each other but your mom had tested positive for COVID prior to your dad coming and his symptoms then escalating. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing that also happened is a few days after my sister had her miscarriage, my husband and I were in a car accident. Oh my goodness. Um, and so we drove up to my parents' house so that my husband could get an adjustment from my dad that weekend. Um, he was a chiropractor. And when we drove up there, um, I didn't really notice too much, but my husband did start to kind of notice like, oh, you know, your dad looks like he's a little off. And, and my dad did say like, you know, I'm, I'm fighting something. And we just thought it was a cold at that point. Um, 
And so then my mom left shortly after that and wasn't around my dad for a week. Um, And by the time that my mom started getting sick, she started getting sick about six days after she was gone, you know, away from my dad, Um, which, you know, I think that at that point we were being told, like, if you're not getting symptoms within a couple of days. So there was just really no way for that to overlap with each other. Um, And so he still wasn't feeling good and he was very healthy, so he could easily get um overcome things he would you know sleep a lot take his vitamins all those good things um but he just wasn't able to shake it so by the time he got to megan's house it was the tuesday night before um before thanksgiving um my mom had was you know she was really not feeling well he gets there we are like well we just have to know what's going on so Mom took a test and hers was positive, but dad's was negative. Um, and I believe we gave him a couple of tests just to verify it, but, and it was always negative. Um, so when we finally had to call um, the hospital on the day after Thanksgiving, because he was, we had ordered family um, IVs because <laughs> we were all like, we're not sure what's going on. So uh, you know, a nurse came to the house and was a, was administering that. She said that his blood oxygen was pretty low. And then we, you know, bought a pulse oxiter. And then a couple hours later, it was down to 78. So we called, you know, the ambulance and um, they took him and yeah, they, we told them, you know, my mom has a negative test or my mom had a positive test. Dad has a negative test. And they said, well, they'll, They'll just treat him as COVID because he's in the same room. And when he got to the hospital, there was, they did not administer a test to him. So Megan, go ahead. The six of us were all in the same house. Mom had a negative test. Dad had, or excuse me, mom had a positive test. Dad had a negative test. And Mariah, her husband, my husband, and myself all did not have COVID too. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, Megan, you had said that you kind of um, had your mom in a way uh, quarantine a little bit, too. So they weren't even really together much, even when they finally did reunite in Colorado at your house. Uh, They were in the same room. Yeah. Um, We were all quarantined from them. So they were in a room together. But um, but but also my mom, like she you know, whatever. She like lost her taste and smell like Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. And then by Thursday afternoon, it was completely back. So she fought it off quickly Mm -hmm. um, and made like big leaps and bounds. So even by that time, she already was on the up and up. And no matter what we did with dad, he just was not getting better. And now we obviously can look back and, you know, surmise that it clearly wasn't COVID, but he had something else going on and just didn't get the treatment he needed. Yeah. Yeah, So to to reiterate, we took, called an ambulance. Dad went to the ER at my sister went to the ER with dad. She was told, well, you have to treat him like a COVID patient because your mom has COVID and nowhere. Mariah asked for them to administer a COVID test just to verify like maybe he does have COVID, but can, this is not, May March of 2020 this is November 2021 we're passing out COVID tests like 
Pez dispenser. So can you just give them a COVID test so we know for sure? They never administered a COVID test. They just went on the presumption that he had COVID. Um, mm -hmm. Nowhere in the medical records does it indicate that he had it in his medical records. It says he has COVID, but nowhere in the medical records did it indicate that they actually tested him for COVID to verify that. They just assumed. Did they ever give you a reason why they wouldn't test him? No. Yeah. No. So yeah. take us through. He arrives at the ER. Um, mm -hmm. They won't give him a COVID test. There's, they're just treating him as a COVID patient. What happens next? Yeah. So um, because he was deemed a COVID patient, I wasn't allowed to go back there with him either. And at that point, we you know, we were like, he clearly needs an advocate. Some, he wasn't feeling well. And for us mm -hmm. to want to step in and advocate for dad is a very big thing. Yeah, no um, one needs to advocate for dad ever. Yeah. He did so, The fact that we felt like we needed to was. Because like you, you had mentioned, he was a chiropractor. You know, he was, he uh, was in the medical industry. He was obviously very knowledgeable um, in, in that realm. And mm -hmm. so the fact that he wasn't himself and needed an advocate was huge. And yeah. um, the fact that they treated him like a COVID patient, uh, regardless of if you agree that people should be separated from their loved ones, if they have COVID, I personally do not believe in that. But regardless on that, he was denied that because they simply were just operating under assumptions. Correct. Yes. So, yeah, so I was there. Um, I went back to the house because I needed to pick something up for him. Um, I was going to drop off. I think his phone charger was what it was. And I came back to say, hey, you know, I have this. I just want to give this to my dad, check in. And they said, oh, well, he's being discharged. And this is less than two hours later. And I said, Oh, okay. Like what's going on? Do we have any answers? Like, no, he's, he's fine. He's going to be discharged. So I wait in the, obviously for him. And when they finally say, Hey, you can go back to the pharmacy and get him. I walk around the corner and, um, he's sitting on a bench. Nobody's attending to him. He's just there by himself with an oxygen tank. And he just looks like a fraction of who he was. He just did not. I looked at him. He's like, this is like staring at my 90 year old grandfather who just got out of the hospital. He just was not something was clearly, clearly wrong with him at that moment. Um, but because they're like, well, you know, they gave him a chest x-ray and they said, okay, well, his chest x-ray is clear. So he's fine. Which I would um, just, and can I just zero in on the chest x-ray thing? So if they're going under the assumption that he has COVID, which we have no verification that he did or did not, his chest x-ray was totally clear. And my mother-in-law was hospitalized with COVID in October of 2020, had a chest x-ray. Her chest x-ray was not clear. You could see the infection in the chest x-ray. I've since gone on to read about this. There would be no reason, no way that his chest x-ray would be clear if he had COVID. No mm -hmm. chest x-ray is clear if you have her. A respiratory infection. Did they, I, I have seen, I have seen all of that as well. And, um, you know, second that research that you've done. Uh, and at that point, would they tell you if they were looking for any, uh, anything else besides COVID? So 
Megan has a few friends that work in the UC health system, um, as well as, you know, I have other doctor friends across the country and, um, we've all, we've been told by every single one of them, standard protocol, if you're over the age of 55, if you come in with a blood oxygen level under, I think it was like 85 standard protocol is to issue a clot test and to rule out possibility of stroke. And they did not administer a clot test for our dad. And um, I which called a D dimer test just to check for oh. yeah, yeah, D dimer test. Which fast forward a couple days when we find him with a stroke, and um, at you know, and we were kind of feeling hopeful after he got back, like he was starting to kind of feel a little bit more like himself. They did give him a steroid, which I believe um, Dr. Pierre Corey talked about on your program. Um, and basically, I mean, if you kept, according to what he was saying, if you catch COVID early enough and you give this to him, you know, it, you have to do it in a really high dose for it to be effective. And also if you're, if you don't have COVID, it does nothing. So that's kind of what it was, but we started to see him kind of, um, perk up a little bit. And then, um, Monday morning, my mom, I took my mom to get monoclonal antibodies and, um, my husband went up to the room to give my dad his medicine and give him a banana and everything. He, you know, he was lucid. He was having a conversation with my husband. Um, and sometime between that and the time we got home and my mom found him and he had had a stroke. Which was maybe 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, 45 minutes to an hour at most. So I, you know, we, my husband right away calls 911. I am there. Um, and he's trying to push himself up off of the bed. I'm like getting in there, you know, holding him. And just see him struggling. Um, and he just kept. He was so scared. Taryn, he just was looking at us and it's like, you could just tell he was not sure what was going on. And so finally the, um, you know, the, uh, or the ambulance gets there. And when he went on Friday, he was able to walk down the stairs. And on Monday he wasn't. They had to take him down in a chair. And so they come in there and they... <laughs> They're like putting the pulse oxeter on his finger. He keeps ripping it off because he's my dad and he's ornery. He's like, get this off of me. Um, so they were finally able to, you know, take him and get him in the ambulance. I follow close behind and I get there and kind of the same thing that I was, you know, it's like my, my dad is here. Like he, he can't speak. Something is going on. And I couldn't go back there because they were still acting as if he had COVID. Um, and it was very, very clear. Like he is at this point, he is not able to say advocate or communicate. Like someone needs to be there to advocate for him. And they just wouldn't let me. So um, he never had respiratory symptoms. At this point, it was clear he had a stroke. Yeah. And they still would not let anyone go with him. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, that this happened to your dad and to you guys. Um, 
this is, I know, hard for you guys to relive and, and talk about. And so we appreciate you doing so because it's important. We learn from all of this and and uh, give a voice to people that have gone through this. Um, so after you get there, he's clearly had a stroke. They won't let you guys go back there. Um, you know, I guess they just looked at his charts from his prior visit and said, we're going to continue to treat him like a like a COVID patient. What happens? I will say that the treatment he received on Monday was light years above what he received on Friday. Um, as, as far as my understanding of medical records, right? They were very on top of it. Um, they automatically did a scan to see that he had the, um, that he had a stroke. They were very communicative, not only with, um, in his records right away, but they were, you know, they were calling my mom consistently as well, keeping us abreast. So after they determined that it was a stroke, um, he was a candidate for a certain procedure where they could go in and remove this, remove the clot. It had to happen within, you know, 24 hours. So they um, airlifted him down to um, the Denver area. Anschutz Hospital. Okay. Anschutz Hospital, um, where they were going to, and According to, again, all of Megan's friends in the area, that is like the stroke hospital of the region. So, um, you know, very great decision to, for that. Um, he went into surgery probably around five o'clock that night before he went in. He still had movement um, on both sides and, um, you know, he got, got out of it and it seems pretty positive. But uh, at that point, you know, a few hours later, we get a call and you know, when you remove the clot, you run the risk of bleeding and swelling. And that's ended, what ended up happening. And, um, you know, our mom had to make the decision of what we wanted to do. You know, they said we could remove the bone and, but we want to make it very clear. He'll have a quantity of life, but not quality. Um, and that was not dad at all. He always said, if I can't be playing golf, um, I don't, I don't want to, live and I want my life to be quality. So it was a heartbreaking decision, but it was the decision he wanted for sure. And so, um, and again, because he was COVID, no COVID for some um, only two of us were able to be with him the, the final hours. So um, my sister stayed with my mom, my brother-in-law drove my husband and I down to and shoots. Um, my husband and I were there with him for several hours. Well, my brother-in-law had to wait in the car because they wouldn't make another exception. Um, and the itself is so heartbreaking. I mean, my dad is close to all of us, but my dad and my husband are super close and my husband couldn't be with my father. It's just, yeah. Yeah, and it was the emotional dynamic of that. Mariah has shared that she feels guilty that she got to be with dad and we couldn't. And it's just like this yeah. emotional toll that is so unnecessary. Yeah, it is. And, and the, the toll that it takes on the family and on the, the loved one who's suffering that doesn't have that love and support there. Uh, with them that they deserve, um, regardless yeah. of whatever their diagnosis is. Um, and then for your mom to have to make those decisions at the end, that's so hard. 
Yeah. And and like yeah. I could be with her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Be with her husband. And there were, you know, we walked in and um and of course, you know, like we have to like mask up and cover up. I like basically look like a beekeeper and I had one of those, you know, and the KN95 where it's just like putting pressure on your head. I'm there for six hours, like in so much pain. I crying because my dad is dying, crying because I'm in pain. They couldn't do like like, no, sorry, this is just protocol. Like, but he, he's, he's clearly dying. Whatever he has is not going to get past me at this point. I've also been in a house with him for a week. If something was wrong with him, I would have it by now. And no reason with that. But I, when I walked in, you know, they, they do say that, you know, they're aware of what's happening around them. And so as soon as I, grabbed his hand and started talking to him he kind of jumped a little bit and then I got to FaceTime my mom and sister and as soon as he heard my mom's voice he jumped a little bit and then my mom made a joke about his mustache because he's always had one and um he she he made a joke about that and he jumped a little bit at that as well so um yeah and then we just my husband and I were there when they um removed him off of you know, life support. And, um, we prayed with him. We worshiped with him. Um, you know, played some of his favorite songs and that just had, you know, we were there for so long. And I, I asked the nurse, I said, okay, so what is it? Is this, are you guys deeming that this is COVID? And even he said, like, we're not going to run any more tests that we don't know. Um, you know, we're, we just know he has a stroke, and that's ultimately what led to this. So, um, you know, ultimately around six in the morning, I had made the decision. I called my sister and they said, hey, like, I've got to get sleep. We haven't slept at all. You know, they're saying his vitals are fine. It could be an hour. It could be six days. We don't really know. So we took the gamble to go home. And about 20 minutes after we got back to the house is when they called us and told us, you know, hey, this is it. So we had to say goodbye to him on FaceTime, which part of that is like a regret, right? Like I, why can I have hung on for two more hours? But then also the other part of it is I know my dad held on as long as he needed to so that we could all be together. We could all be safe. And I think that, you know, that's who he was. He just, everything he did was for his three girls and his two boys. And so, yeah, and they were... The nurse was super sweet. She held his hand as he was going and we just sang with him and prayed with him. And, but, you know, and you're not thinking straight in those situations. So it's like a whirlwind 24 hours of oh, yeah. making these decisions. And would we have done things differently if things were calmer for sure? And there could have been things where we could have waited a little bit longer, but we didn't, we made the decision we could at that time. And um, yeah. And it has been hell ever since. I can't even imagine um, what you guys have gone through in those moments. And then, and then after all of that, and you, you mentioned how it's such a whirlwind. Um, but I know that you had the, the forethought to ask about the death certificate, um, mm -hmm. even in, in the midst of all of that. And um, I commend you for that. I think that's that's wonderful that you were able to do so. So tell us that story um, ab about the death certificate. Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, my parents had 
prepaid for their cremation services, which is a gift in and of itself because it was just one simple phone call to, um, I can't even remember the name of it, but one simple phone call to them, right? And then they the handled everything. Society. Oh, the Trident Society. <laughs> um, and so the, our, the person we were speaking with from the, or I was speaking with from the Trident Society, he was the one taking care of all of that. And so I, you know, my mom said, you know, make sure, like check the death certificate. And so he sent me a copy of it before they got him, you know, signed. And I said, no, we don't want COVID on there. That's not Because real. it hasn't been verified. You just and here. Right. And he said, okay, well, let me talk to the doctor. So he called the doctor and the doctor was without hesitating. He's like, yeah, that's fine. You can take it off. Um, however, we just want to let you know that if you do keep it on, you get $10,000 or whatever the amount was for funeral services. And he said, absolutely not. We already have that taken care of. And we're not going to let this count towards a number just for your own benefit. Um, so the fact that he was so willing to take it off without any type of argument also speaks volumes to us that even he probably knew that that wasn't going on. That is just, I can't even imagine how that made you feel at that point in time, given everything that had happened. Megan, what was running through your head after you heard about that transpiring? My thought was, my dad just died and you're asking me to lie for money? Like, that's, lies corrupt the soul. Like, we're living through the hell of our dad dying. I can't invite hell inside of me for $10,000 for that's what I'm just like, you're asking me to lie. Why? And why are you okay with lying? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, so many of their numbers and their bottom lines and all of this different COVID money was flowing through everywhere. Um, you know, and we go back to also that note that I talked about at the beginning of the show uh, that was in his medical records, just kind of, what do you feel, how do you feel about this, Mariah, the statement that patient care may have been delivered in a significantly different manner than normal workflow due to the pandemic? Um, and it goes on to say, you know, that includes limited treatments. And then it further goes on to say, if you can read it on the screen, that this is a procedure that was um, deemed, uh, that was recommended by current health system practices and the federal, state, and local governments. Um, how, do, how does that make you feel? Or how did that make you feel when you saw that in his medical records? Yeah, um, they failed my dad and ultimately failed us by not giving him the proper treatment that he needed when he went in at first on Friday. Um, if they would have just done a D-dimer and seen if they're, you know, tested for a protocol that should have been done, it's been standard protocol for years, um, there's a good possibility that they could have broken up the clot and my dad could still be here with us today. And so that's, yeah, it's infuriating. It's they they failed as a medical system. They failed my dad, and it really makes it challenging for me to um, be able to trust the system in any way, shape, or form. And that's not 
great. Like I understand, like we come at it from a way different situation because our parents are chiropractors. So we're automatically a little bit more skeptical of everything, but I really do try to keep an open mind. And prior to 2020, I was kind of like, okay, I think there could be a balance here. I think we can operate within this. And, um, it's still with, and especially after my dad dying, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I can trust that they would give us the, you know, the proper treatment that is necessary. Um, and then they can just put a statement on there. Hey, this is why there was something else that was more scary to us. And it, sorry, your loved one died. But we're told we're doing all of this COVID response hoopla to save lives, but how many lives were lost because of it? I don't think you saved any lives. I think you ruined lives. And Taryn, this is unrelated and purely anecdotal, but in November of 2020, I had an ectopic pregnancy and I, um, I knew something was not right in my body and I called, um, the clinic and got the runaround like, oh, we could do a telemedicine appointment. We could do this. We could do that. And I was just like, something is not right. And I don't think you can evaluate the parts of my body that need to be evaluated via a computer screen. And I really advocated for me to be able to come in for a checkup. And as it turned out, I had an ectopic pregnancy Mm -hmm. and we were able to deal with it expeditiously. And, you know, you know, I still have my fallopian tubes through minimal harm to me. But I have thought so many times over the last two years, how many women were a little more scared and a little less of an advocate for themselves and either have lost fallopian tubes or have died because ectopic pregnancies are quite dangerous. They are a life threatening event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another, you know, kind of just anecdotal, um, in March of 2020, but right before everything shut down, my husband's grandfather um, choked on um, a chip and he like hit his head and was rushed to the ER. Um, and then he wasn't able to get in to see his doctor for three, four months. And by the time he was finally able to, we discovered that he had stage four esophageal cancer, which is aggressive in and of itself. And he was probably stage three or four at that point when he choked. Um, But because he couldn't eat for four months, it just took over his body. And he died in August of 2020. And we tried to get a stent in, you know, stent was put in, but it was so aggressive, it closed right up. And I just reality is I understand like he had this very aggressive cancer he was going to eventually pass at at a point but there's a good possibility that they could have gone in and scraped it or they could have done some sort of treatment to prolong his life a little bit longer if he could have just gotten in to see his doctor in March of 2020 versus July of 2020 that's a big deal when it comes to cancer um so yeah We're seeing it everywhere. And even still to this day, um, because so many 
nurses and doctors were either laid off because of the mandates or chose to leave the medical system on their own accord. And I've had several family members that have had to go to the ER um, within the past couple of months and have, you know, sat there for eight, nine upwards of that almost 12 hours without receiving much of any care uh, besides just, you know, like blood pressure screening with a stethoscope and in the chair in the ER, um, we're seeing it all over the place. And so I think that uh, your story talking about how, um, you know, all that so many people were denied proper care due to just the fear surrounding COVID and possibly the, the numbers game surrounding it as well, which your story um, talks about what is what now? I know you guys are, are trying to honor your father's name in various different ways. So um, one of those being sharing his story, and we, you know, commend you for doing that. Thank you so much. But what other things are you guys doing to honor Gene Swella and his his memory? Yeah, um, one major way that we're doing that is like we mentioned, our dad was a chiropractor and. Um, he was a damn good chiropractor. He took his trade very, very seriously. Um, he was at one point was rated in the top 1% of the nation. Um, he was amazing. And so he believes so much in the power of chiropractic and healing. And so we have established, uh, or working to establish a scholarship in his name, the Dr. Jean Swella um, Scholarship at Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa. Um, and so one of the ways that we are raising money for that is we, last year, we hosted a um, the first annual Jean Swella Golf Tournament um, in my parents' hometown. And we were able to raise about half of the money that we needed for it to be a, um, to make an, an endowment in his name. So it could be a named scholarship. And we're doing another one in September, um, September 9th. So, um, you know, obviously the fun is to come and play, but if anybody, you know, is interested just in that process um, and just donating in his name, we would, we would love that. Um, and yeah, just telling his story. Um, we, I don't know if you're familiar with the flat Stanley project where it's just like the little paper doll. Yeah. Well, we have um, a flat Gino. Aww. So we have uh, made little paper dolls of him <laughs> um, <laughs> that we have given, like that we all carry around. We've given to friends and family um, and people will take pictures of him in different places. So he's been all over the world, which is, um, you know, for him, he was not really a world traveler. So it's like, well, shouldn't have died and you wouldn't have to be taken to all these places. Like <laughs> here we are. Um, so yeah, so that's another way that we're just doing it. And, you know, we have, we're just so lucky. My dad had so many amazing um, friends, lifelong friends. That's the type of person he was um, that just these men who have, um, really made a positive influence on his life, um, who really, they were the ones that really shaped him in his early years. Um, and so we, you know, just get to meet with them and be around them and talk with them and learn more about him on a consistent basis, which is amazing. Um, yeah, so those are just, you know, we just keep telling his story, we keep talking about him, not only in this, because obviously this is really sad and hard, but just all the good, good stories of dad, just the um, yeah, how he's a chiropractor. He taught my sister and I both how to play golf. Um, it's a bond that we share together. It's a bond that 
um, you know, set, we can get, get on the course and, you know, you get out there and it, it, it can be really healing and holy. And so connect with that and a lot of prayer <laughs> through that. Um, so it's been, it's been hard. It's been challenging. Um, but we also do have the promise of, you know, resurrection and reuniting with him. And um, we know without a shadow of a doubt that dad is with Jesus and um, we know we'll see him again. Um, just this middle part sucks, <laughs> sucks so much. Oh, well, I, you guys are both an inspiration to me and your father and your whole family and how your faith story, uh, your walk with, with the Lord and all of this and how you've leaned on him and your, and how you've leaned on golf and uh, allowed that to help you through your faith journey too. I obviously very much connect with all of that. And so I just thank you both for your strength and for your willingness to share his story. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll make sure to put a link in our show description for how people can help to support the golf tournament and his scholarship. Um, I know many people listening to this would love to, to get more chiropractors, um, out there into our, our medical system and more integrative and functional medicine doctors. So we appreciate everything you guys are doing. Thank you for sharing your story. God bless you guys and your family and for anyone listening that um you know is touched by this story and everything that we're doing at we the patriots usa.org and this podcast please head to we the patriots usa.org to prayerfully give mariah megan thank you both for joining us